chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. We are taking some time in these six verses to try to grasp the vast expanse of truth that these verses cover. So if you would, look at Romans chapter 3, verse 21 with me. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Father, we have lifted our voices in song to worship you. And only you know our hearts, how engaged we are. But Lord, we pray that you are pleased with our, our voices, our singing, and our prayers as offerings to you. And we ask now that as we come to your word that you would grant us understanding, help us to, to think well, to humble our hearts for the magnitude of what you have revealed to us here. You have spoken in your word. And we as your people receive it. Amen. Well, here in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26, the Apostle Paul really distills for us the heart of the gospel message. This is the center of the doctrine of salvation. When God saves us, when we become Christians, he accomplishes a number of things in our lives. For example, we are regenerated which means that we are given new life or we are made alive. We are taken from a state of spiritual death and transferred, raised to life, made alive in Christ to spiritual life. We are also sanctified. Well, sometimes we think of sanctification or being sanctified as the process of being made holy, but most of the time, this word sanctified in the New Testament is talking about us being set apart unto God as his special people, and that happens the moment that you are converted. That happened the moment that I became a Christian. We are sanctified. We're, we are made his people. We are made his special possession. We are also reconciled, whereas before we were in enemies of God, we are reconciled. That is, that when God saves us, he makes peace between us and himself. We are no longer enemies. We are adopted. We are made God's children and his heirs, which means we are included into the family of God. There are others, but among these, 
And perhaps at the center of them all is justification. We are justified. We are made just or we are made righteous in God's eyes. According to the Apostle Paul in these early chapters of Romans, the entire human race will stand in the courtroom of God. And God is the judge of humanity. And to stand in his presence, we must be found righteous. We must be found as a person or people who square up with his holiness, with his standards for right and wrong. God justifies us by granting us a right standing before him, by providing for us the very righteousness that we need, the very righteousness that we cannot get any other way. Let me just review for you, especially since it's been a few weeks, what Paul has said so far in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26 about God's righteousness for us. We have seen that God's righteousness for us, first of all, is revealed in the gospel. It is revealed in the gospel. Though the law revealed God as righteous and what his righteousness demands, this righteousness that he provides is now made known or it is made manifest apart from the law. And where does God make this known? In the gospel. This is the gospel proclamation. It is the gospel that Paul says in early chapter, uh, chapter one of Romans that he longs to preach in the city of Rome. And the Old Testament, the law and the prophets testify to it. They stand up in the courtroom and they say, that is the answer. That is the resolution to the impossible situation that the human race finds itself in. Standing before God as guilty and condemned. What the gospel says is the way. And so when Paul says in verse 21 here, but now, but now this righteousness that God has made known in the gospel, but now this marks a new age, a new era, as God's plan to save his people unfolds in history. God's righteousness for us is revealed in the gospel. Secondly, we saw that this righteousness is gained by faith. It is gained by faith. It cannot be achieved. It must be received by faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. We gain the righteousness that God has provided for us by looking to Jesus and him alone for that righteousness and place no confidence in ourselves. Nothing that we would, that we would produce as, uh, as credentials before God, standing in that courtroom, we abandon everything and have faith only in Christ. He is our only plea. We do not plead innocent, and we do not plead guilty. We plead Christ, and that's it. We abandon any other hope we might have before God. It is gained by faith. Thirdly, we saw that 
this righteousness for us is offered to all. It's offered to all. God's righteousness is for all who believe there is no distinction, which means that no one is exempt from God's judgment. No one can claim some special, uh, some special status to not stand in that courtroom, to not be on trial before the judge. And it means that no one is excluded from the gospel. No one is excluded from believing in Christ to gain that righteousness that God has provided. It is offered to all. Fourthly, we saw that this righteousness is given by grace. It is given by grace. It is a gift. It is by God's grace alone that this righteousness is provided for us. We could never earn it. We could never merit it. We cannot negotiate for it. We cannot purchase this new standing before God. It is a gift and only a gift. And it has to be. It has to be a gift because we have all and every one of us sinned and are always falling short of the glory of God. So God, as a gift, has provided this righteousness. Now, we see in verse 24 that this grace gift of righteousness is secured by sacrifice. It is secured by sacrifice. Verse 24, how does God do this? How can the judge render such a verdict? Given mankind's rebellion, given our rejection of God, our suppression of the truth, our exchanging of his glory for the glory of things that he's created and worshiping them instead of the creator, how can God hold back his wrath from us who deserve it and extend his grace instead? That gap must be bridged somehow. Verse 24 here says that it is through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It is through redemption. And so we add this word redeem to the list of what God accomplishes in our lives when he saves us. What does redeem mean? What does redemption mean? Well, redemption means to set free by payment of a price to set free by payment of a price. So this word would have applied to prisoners of war who would have been returned from their captors to their, to their commander for a ransom price. It would have applied to slaves who were bought out of captivity. Sometimes those slaves might be able to redeem themselves Oftentimes, they were redeemed or bought out of slavery by others. It also would apply to condemned criminals who would be delivered from the penalty for their crimes for a price. And in this context of God's courtroom, it is probably this last image that Paul has in mind here. 
We stand before God guilty and condemned criminals because of our sin. And because of our crimes, our suppression of the truth, our exchange of God's glory, we owe to God a debt. And we must pay a penalty for our rebellion. We express this idea in our own culture, in our own justice system. When a convicted criminal has served a prison sentence, we say, He has paid his debt to society. So we have the same concept even in our own justice system. That when someone commits a crime, they owe. They owe a penalty to those whom they have offended or harmed for breaking the law. What is the debt I owe for my rebellion? What is the penalty that you must pay for your rebellion? It's death and eternal judgment. It's what you owe. This is why the righteousness that we need must be a gift of grace. It is why this righteousness must come from somewhere other than you or me. Because we are the debtors we owe. We are condemned and guilty. Do not think for a second that God overlooks the penalty we owe to extend the grace that we need. This is important. Don't think that God ever overlooks the penalty we owe to extend the grace we need. That price must be paid. You are not released from the penalty of your rebellion and then justified and made right before God. You are redeemed from that penalty And because of the price of redemption that has been paid, you are then justified. The price had to be paid first. You see, you are ransomed off of death row. We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That is the way the justification, the gift, takes place. It's because you're redeemed. A price had to be paid for you. Verse 25 tells us the cost. It tells us what the price is. The next phrase reveals the ransom price that was paid for us is Jesus' own blood, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. The ransom price for you and for me was his own life. The redemption that is in Christ Jesus is by his blood. The penalty we owed was death and judgment. And Jesus paid that debt with his own death in your place. Jesus' death was a substitute for your own and for mine. This is why we call it a substitutionary atonement. Because it should have been me being crucified. It should have been you. 
the key to understanding the depth of what Jesus did is here in this word propitiation. Propitiation. A propitiation is a sacrifice made to appease or turn aside wrath. That's what it is. Now, in Paul's day, the word was used to describe sacrifice, uh, sacrifices made to pagan gods to appease their whims and their anger. The pagan world lived and still lives according to the idea that the gods are capricious because they are gods that are made in our own image. And we are capricious. <laughs> and so when we create our own gods, they look like us. That's one of the greatest defenses of the truth of Scripture is that the God that the Bible reveals is so entirely opposite of us, so different than we in our sin and our fallenness believe, understand, and behave. And so the sacrifices, propitiation, were often made. This, the God is destroying us. Rome is flooding, Rome is burning, whatever the tragedy was, we better appease the gods, we better make sacrifices. For the Christian faith, this word propitiation has its roots in the Old Testament sacrificial system. In fact, this same word was used to refer to what was called the mercy seat. Let me explain what the mercy seat was. The mercy seat was the cover over the Ark of the Covenant, which resided in the Holy of Holies in the temple. So the cover of the Ark of the Covenant, which the nation of Israel carried before them, which represented and located the presence of God's glory among his people in the Holy of Holies in the temple, that cover was called the mercy seat. On the day of atonement, one day a year, the high priest would sacrifice both a bull for his own sins and a goat for the sins of the people. Now, there was another goat. He would lay his hands on that goat, representing the transfer of all of the sins of the nation onto that goat, and then that goat was sent out into the wilderness to die. Separated, sin, separated, taken away, forgiven. There will also be a couple of rams later in the ceremony that would be sacrificed. But the first thing the high priest would do is sacrifice a bull for his own sins, and then he would sacrifice a goat for the sins of the people, and he would take the blood from those sacrifices and he would sprinkle them on the mercy seat. He would sprinkle blood onto the top of the Ark of the Covenant to atone for sins. And so the mercy seat was the place of atonement. What Paul is saying is that the atonement, which used to be done behind a veil, remember, only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies, and he only entered it once a year. That this that this work of atonement, which was done behind a veil in the Holy of Holies, is now put forth for the whole world to see. And that Jesus' death 
was the atoning sacrifice that turns God's wrath away. It is a righteous wrath, not a whim. It is right wrath, a wrath we deserved. And Jesus' death, his sacrifice, his atonement is final and sufficient. That was the ransom price to redeem us. So God's grace, listen, God's grace does not bypass our guilt. God's grace makes us righteous in his sight because Jesus paid the penalty for our guilt. And yet, God's grace also means that he himself initiated this redemptive act. And that he himself paid that cost. He paid the cost for our redemption. Now, just to be clear, in case you're tempted to think that God the Father is now presented as the angry judge. He's the one who judges humanity. But Jesus, the Son of God, loves humanity, and so he steps in between to stop God's anger and wrath by giving his life for us. Understand that God the Father and God the Son worked in perfect unity and harmony to justify us. As God the Father put forward Christ as a propitiation, and God the Son became obedient to death. That's Philippians 2, verse 8. Perfectly one in their will. Perfectly one in their righteous wrath. Perfectly one in their work of justification. In this offering of Jesus' life. Jesus himself even summarized his mission this way in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a what? A ransom for many. Jesus knew why he was here, and he came willingly. And in John chapter 10, Jesus even said, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down, and I take it back up again. Ephesians 1, verse 7 puts it this way. In him, that is, in Christ, we have redemption. Redemption. Through his blood, there's the propitiation. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. See how it all comes together. Redemption, propitiation, by propitiation, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. God initiated, God made the way. This is why God's righteousness, the righteousness that justifies us, is to be received by faith. Go back to the verse here. It is to be received by faith because to attempt to gain it or earn it in any other way by credentials, by claiming a status, by our efforts is to reject God's grace and substitute, it, substitute for it our own claims, our own worthiness. 
This righteousness is secured by sacrifice. It cost Jesus his life, and he went gladly and willingly to turn aside God's wrath. Lastly, we see that God's righteousness provided for us is vindicated by the cross. It's vindicated by the cross. If you look again at verses 25 and 26 now, you will notice this phrase that is repeated, to show. See it? To show. This was to show. And again at the beginning of verse 26, it was to show. What was to show? Well, both of these are referring to God putting forward as a propitiation at the beginning of verse 25. It was God putting forward as a propitiation to show. In other words, God put Christ forward as a propitiation, as a sacrifice first to show his righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. And second, God put Christ forward as an atoning sacrifice, a propitiation to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, his righteousness, which is the subject of both of these phrases, to show his righteousness, in showing his righteousness, these verses are talking about God's self-integrity, his righteous character, Because you see, God passed over former sins, which means that God postponed full judgment on all the sins of all the people who lived before Jesus died as a propitiation. Those are the former sins. And we know that God did not withhold all judgment. We know that God judged the world with a flood, We know that God judged the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah with fire from heaven, where there are plenty of examples in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, that demonstrate that God did judge. But the kind of judgment, the final judgment, that that God passed over, that God postponed, was the wiping out of the entire human race because of our rebellion. So God passed over former sins. These were sins that were committed while the law was the only revelation from God. That everything that was known about God was in what the nation of Israel had given to them. Because God did not fully judge rebellious humanity, he shows or he demonstrates, he vindicates his righteousness through the crucifixion of Jesus. So, passing over former sins, not wiping out the human race, was not a breach in his divine character or a compromise of justice, but Paul says here, divine forbearance. 
It was forbearance. In mercy, God held back the full penalty for sin so that in history, in time, he could provide redemption. But just as Jesus' sacrificial death vindicates God's righteousness in the past, it also vindicates God's work of justifying sinners now, in the present. By putting forth Christ as a propitiation, God has shown his righteousness at the present time. But now, this is this new revelation, the new era of how God is working to redeem people so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And really what Paul means by that phrase is so that God might be shown to be righteous, just, even though he is justifying sinners because they have faith in Jesus. How can the righteous God make an unrighteous person righteous without violating his own righteousness? The cross. That's it. It's the only way. It's why the cross is a wonder. It is why it is precious to anyone who comes to God. Anyone who is a Christian. Because it is only because of the cross that the righteous God can make an unrighteous person righteous without violating his own righteousness. The cross proves that God's integrity is maintained when he justifies us. In fact, watch this. Because Jesus has taken God's wrath in our place, God would actually be unjust to not justify the person who has faith in Jesus. Because Jesus took the wrath, because he paid the penalty, God has bound himself to justify or make us righteous to actually prove himself righteous. Does that make sense? It has to be. So, to whom then is God showing or vindicating his righteousness? If the cross vindicates this righteousness that God has given, has provided to us, then to whom is he demonstrating this? Well, we are one audience, the human race. We are one audience for this demonstration of God's righteousness. When we read the descriptions of the evils of the human race in Romans chapters 1 and 2, we might be tempted to question, can God really be righteous? Can he really be just? Even if, we, if, if, if a person doesn't believe Romans chapter 1 or chapter 2, even if a person reads that, hears that preached, and rejects it, they still look at the description and say, well, if that's true, then how could God actually be righteous? He would have had to wipe out the entire human race. Can God really be righteous and just? Is he qualified to judge? And the answer is yes. 
God does not violate his own righteousness. So we're the first audience, but I think there's another audience. And that's the angelic realm. Those beings in the spiritual realm who have rebelled against God, who are enemies against God, and seek to undo his glory. Now, we don't think about that part of the universe when we read these verses because we tend to see ourselves at the center of what's going on. But really, what's at the center is God's glory. God, in justifying us, is bringing himself glory. Now, just to help make this clearer, I want to point you to Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. There's the regeneration. God making us alive. God taking us from a state of spiritual death and making us alive. God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling what? The record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. There you go. There's the courtroom here in Colossians chapter 2. We stand condemned and guilty because of the legal demands that stand against us and that show that we owe this unpayable debt. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So in Colossians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul takes this same truth that he is making us righteous by saying that this debt that we owe, this uh, certificate of debt, this bill of payment, that we must die, he took and nailed it to the cross in Jesus. Jesus took the debt with him to the grave. He set it aside, but look at verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. These rulers and authorities are not kings and princes and presidents. These are angelic beings. These are uh, those beings we would think of as demons. These are fallen angels who rebelled against God with Satan. That's who the rulers and authorities are. And so what Paul is saying in Colossians chapter 2 is that this spectacle of Jesus being crucified was not just about canceling our debt, but it was also triumphing over all of God's enemies. All of those who have declared rebellion against God, even the angelic realm. He triumphs over them, and in the cross, he puts them to open shame. So when Paul says, going back to Romans Chapter 3, when Paul says that that he has uh, shown or demonstrated his righteousness, God is establishing before the entire cosmos that he is just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. 
It's a lot bigger than just us. A lot bigger. But this is what God has done. This is the wonder of the cross. So, back to Romans 3. By putting Christ forward as a sacrifice, the cross first establishes God's righteous integrity as God, even though he passed over former sins. And secondly, it preserves God's righteous integrity as he justifies those who today believe in Jesus. God is exonerated, if you will. God's integrity, watch this. God's integrity is never compromised, nor is his plan to justify sinners who believe in Jesus. God's integrity is never compromised, nor is his plan to justify sinners who believe in Jesus because Jesus, by dying on the cross in our place, provides full satisfaction of the demands of God's impartial, never compromising justice. That is at the center of the gospel. John Piper has put it very memorably in his book, Desiring God. He writes, The wisdom of God devised a way for the love of God to deliver sinners from the wrath of God while not compromising the righteousness of God, the death of the Son of God for sinners. This righteousness is for us. The question that is left then for us is, how will you respond? How will you respond? A person can reject it. A person can reject this sacrifice. A person can reject, turn his back or her back on this offer of righteousness, this provision A person can reject it outright, or a person might reject it by simply trying to maintain neutrality. Look, I appreciate all that God's done, if that's all true, so on, but I'm okay with God. The question is never, are you okay with God? The question is, is God okay with you? Is he okay with me? That's the question. And God is the one who answers that question. And he says, I'm only okay with you if you're in Christ. Because Christ gave his life to redeem you as a guilty criminal standing in that courtroom. There is no neutrality. That is a rejection. The other choice is to believe. Is to abandon any other hope, any other credential you have, and to cast yourself in faith. And say, God has spoken, and it's true, and he has provided the righteousness that I need to stand before him. And it's not a righteousness of my own. It's Jesus' righteousness. Paul's going to make that clear in chapters 4 and 5 in Romans. Whose righteousness is this? It's Jesus' righteousness. That one who died on the cross, the one who gave himself as a propitiation to turn the wrath of God, it's his righteousness that is given to us. 
and to simply believe him. But in that faith comes an allegiance. Understand that. In that faith comes an allegiance. I believe you and I receive the forgiveness that you have offered, the cleansing of my sin and my guilt, and I belong to you. I follow you. That is the Christian faith and nothing less. Let's pray. Father, help us to grasp the profound depths of the work that you have done to justify us in your sight. And Lord, we as your people who stand before you now, justified, and one day we'll stand in that very courtroom pleading only the sacrifice, the death of Jesus for our righteousness. We stand here today knowing in confidence that you have loved us, believing with full and and open hearts that in your love for us, you have provided the, the righteousness that we need and that it is only in you that we can find it. And so we rejoice. Our prayers are received. Our songs are heard. Our requests are listened to and answered because we stand before you justified. And so, Lord, we could never thank you enough. We could never praise you enough. And yet we have all of eternity to do so. Amen.